Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, on the banks of the Missouri River sits a house of horrors. The Sally House is said to be haunted by the ghost of a vengeful spirit, and one unlucky family experiences the worst of its wrath. This is episode number 21 of Hometown Ghost Stories, The Sally House, Atchison, Kansas. The Sally House Sunday, October 31st, 1993 The alarm went off at 7am the morning of Halloween. Tony shut it off quickly as to not wake up their 10-month-old son sleeping in the next room. As he swung his legs off the side of the bed, he noticed three long scratches above his knee that hadn't been there the night before when he went to sleep. But this was nothing new. He was starting to get sick of this old house. He didn't believe in ghosts due to his strict Catholic upbringing, but some of the things he'd seen lately had him questioning that disbelief. He headed down the stairs, carefully avoiding that creaky step that always wakes his wife. As he walked into the kitchen, he shivered. Damn, how cold is it in here? I can practically see my breath, he said to himself. He grabbed a glass from the cupboard and opened the fridge to grab the orange juice. As the fridge door closed, he jumped. There was a little girl standing on the other side. He backed up, bumping into the corner. She looks to be about six or seven, standing only about three and a half feet tall, wearing an old-fashioned dress, curly hair and big blue eyes that showed absolute terror. Her mouth opened as if she were about to scream. Wider and wider, but no scream came out. It was then Tony noticed he could see the door behind her. Through her. The glass slipped from his hand, shattering on the floor. He quickly glanced down at the broken glass and then right back up to the girl. But the room was empty. I'm Dave Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Atchison, Kansas. of Atchison, Kansas, sits about 60 miles from Topeka in the banks of the Missouri River and was home to the Kanta Native American tribe. Their abandoned village was noted by Lewis and Clark when they explored the land in the early 1800s. Half a century later, Atchison was founded and named after the Missouri Senator David R. Atchison. The town became a city in 1859 and is best known as being the birthplace of Amelia Earhart, the world-famous pilot. It is, however, more notoriously known to be the home of the infamous Sally House. Built in the mid-1800s in the growing community of Atchison, the home on 508 North 2nd Street had seen its fair share of owners through the years, including Dr. Charles Finney. One rainy night, around the turn of the century, 
A frantic mother brought her six-year-old daughter, Sally, to the doctor's doorstep. The girl was in excruciating pain, and upon examination, the doctor determined she had an advanced case of appendicitis and needed to be operated on immediately. There was no time to bring her to a hospital, so he opted to do the procedure right there in the house. However, the doctor didn't wait long enough and began the appendectomy before the anesthetics kicked in. She began screaming as the doctor sliced into her and had to be restrained by the medical assistance Dr. Finney had on hand. Outside the makeshift operating room, Sally's mother sat in a state of excruciating unrest as she listened to her daughter's agonized screams. Tears streamed down her face as she convinced herself she'd made the right decision to save her daughter's life. The screaming persisted. Back in the operating room, Sally thrashed and bucked, knocking the scalpel out of the doctor's hand on more than one occasion. This obviously exacerbated the situation, and what should have been one clean incision ended up being a series of jagged lacerations in a do-it-yourself operating room that looked like a crime scene. What must have seemed like hours to Sally came to an abrupt end when the screaming ceased and the terrified girl died on the operating table. Sally died, most likely believing the man was torturing her to death. There are a few different theories on who Sally and her mother were, since record-keeping was shaky at that time period. A lot of records that were kept are illegible due to messy handwriting, and some records being written in Latin. The most common theory was that Dr. Finney had impregnated an African-American servant and kicked her out of the house when she gave birth to his illegitimate daughter to save face. Atchison was pro-slavery when it was founded, and a prominent doctor fathering a mixed-race child would have ruined his reputation. Half a decade later... His daughter and former lover would appear on his doorstep seeking emergency medical assistance. Rather than risk public shame, he decided to kill the girl and her mother, burying them on the property. All of this is, of course, speculation. On the last day of 1992, a newly married couple expecting their first child approached the front door of the Sally House. Tony and Deborah Pickman had just signed the lease and were excited to move into their new home. Deborah immediately ran up the stairs to complete the first order of business, picking out which room would be the baby's nursery. This room will be perfect, she exclaimed. Just needs a coat of paint. Tony jumped right into the project. The next day he got on the phone to call the local hardware store to put in an order of light blue paint for the nursery. The phone rang once and then went dead. That's weird, he thought. He clicked the receiver and dialed again. This time it didn't ring. It was just loud static. He clicked the receiver a few more times, but all he was getting was loud static. Frustrated, he gave up. Over the course of the project, other strange things continued to happen. The radio would turn on randomly, and the volume would slowly increase until it maxed out, causing the frustrated and confused couple to rush over to it, covering their ears to turn it off. Lights would randomly turn on and off to a point where Tony actually called an electrician to come see if he could figure out what the issue was. The electrician checked everything out, and to Tony's surprise, determined there was nothing unusual going on. Right around the time the nursery was complete, Deborah went into labor. They couldn't have timed it better if they were able to. Tony took her to the hospital, and they welcomed a healthy baby boy to their family. They pulled into their driveway after being discharged from the hospital, and Tony carried the baby upstairs to get him settled in his new nursery. As he opened the door, he jumped, completely caught off guard by what he saw. All the new stuffed animals he and Deborah had put away were sitting in a circle in the middle of the bedroom floor. Tony turned and called to Deborah for her to come see. The family dog, who had followed Tony and the baby upstairs, 
stopped short at the doorway and began growling and barking into the empty room. Deb made it upstairs as Tony shooed the dog away. She was just as confused as Tony. Wasn't your sister-in-law here earlier? Did she do this? Deborah asked. She was here, but this isn't something she would find amusing. It's just not her personality, he replied. Regardless of Tony's doubt that his brother's wife had anything to do with the stuffed animals, Deborah called to ask. What she told Deborah sent a shiver down her spine. Deb, she said, I admit, I went up the stairs to check out the new nursery, but halfway up, and I don't mean to freak you out, but there was a really cold draft halfway up the stairs. I got freaked out and I just left. After getting off the phone, Deborah couldn't help but feel a little spark of excitement. She'd always been fascinated with the paranormal, and ever since she was a kid, she always wanted to live in a haunted house. Tony didn't feel the same way. Growing up Catholic, he didn't want to believe in ghosts, and if they were real, he wanted no part in being near one, let alone live with one. A few weeks into adjusting to life with a newborn, Deborah's sister Karen arrived to spend some time with the family and give some much-needed relief to Deborah and Tony, who hadn't had a full night's sleep since the baby was born. One night, Karen rushed up the stairs because she heard the dog barking near the nursery and was afraid it would wake the baby she had just got to sleep less than an hour earlier. As she reached the top of the stairs, she saw the door to the baby's room was wide open and the light was on. There's no way I left that light on, Karen said out loud to nobody. She tried to shoo the dog away, but it kept growling and shaking, fur on its back standing up. She looked up and the blood drained from her face. The last thing she did before putting the baby to bed was put all the toys away, then shut off the light and closed the door. She was 100% positive, but now the light was on, the door was wide open, and the stuffed animals were in the middle of the nursery floor arranged in a circle. She ran to Deborah and Tony's room and shook them awake. You've got to come see this, she said. The trio hurried over to the nursery. Tony went pale. Deborah was intrigued but uneasy. They scooped up the baby and ran downstairs to spend the night away from the nursery. This freaked Tony out enough to call his mother and explain everything to her. She responded by telling him she knew the woman who previously rented the house and offered to reach out to her to see if anything unusual happened while she lived there. Sure, Tony responded, but he didn't think much into it. The next day, Tony's brother-in-law Larry came by. He had been aware of the things going on at the house, but remained skeptical, as was his nature. Tony and Deborah showed Larry around, but much to Deborah's frustration, nothing unusual was happening. Larry was sympathetic to their concerns, but chalked it up to lack of sleep. As he was walking towards the door to leave, he stopped. You're hilarious, he said. Tony and Deborah stared at him blankly. <laughs> Larry scoffed. That bear by the wall over there. It wasn't there a minute ago. Tony and Deborah turned and saw the teddy bear facing the wall on the other side of the room. No, it wasn't, Tony replied, and we were with you the whole time. The look on the couple's faces was enough to rattle Larry. Hey, he said. Have you ever heard of Barbara O'Connor? Larry asked. She's a psychic medium. A friend from work knows her pretty well. I can never give you a call. This is pretty unusual. Tony didn't like the idea, but Deborah agreed to talk to her. Barbara called the house not long after and Deborah excitedly filled her in on all the strange events that had been taking place since they moved in. Just from talking over the phone, Barbara was able to tell Deborah that there was a ghost of a young girl named Sally in their house. She said the spirit was not harmful, but somewhat mischievous. She also told Deborah that Sally was protective of the baby and wouldn't harm anyone. Deborah was delighted with what she had learned from the medium. 
She told Tony as soon as he got home, but Tony didn't seem to buy in. How could she tell all that from a phone call, he asked, and that was pretty much the end of it. A couple days had gone by, and Tony was sitting on his couch, flipping through the channels on the TV when the phone rang. He picked up and caught a loud static sound, similar to the one they would occasionally get, but much louder this time. He pulled the phone away from his ear. Hello, he said. The static subsided, and his mother's voice came through the receiver. I talked to my friend, she said. The one who rented the house out before you? Well, she told me that her young daughter would constantly have toys misplaced and show up in random places. She said the toys would line up and sometimes circle up, just like you and Deborah saw, she said. Tony felt his heart rate increase. His mother went on. She said her daughter used to blame it on her imaginary friend. It probably was just some childish nonsense, his mother said. Tony was shaking. What was her name? He asked. The daughter? His mom replied. No, the imaginary friend, Tony said. Did she mention the imaginary friend's name? Oh, she replied. Yeah, it was Sally. Tony's brother George dropped by a week or so later to see the baby and tour the house. During his visit, the topic of Sally came up. George, like his brother Tony, was also a skeptic and laughed the story off. While in the nursery, George pulled a camera from his bag and said, Sally, say cheese, and snapped the picture. But as the flash went off, his jaw dropped. He pointed at the pile of stuffed animals by the crib. Tony turned, and they both witnessed the bear in front of the pile, slowly rotating 180 degrees. The energy in the room shifted, and Tony and Deb hurried out. George tried to follow, but found himself unable to move, as if something was holding him in place. After a few moments, he was able to snap out of it and took off after Tony and Deborah. As they were rushing down the stairs, Tony yelped in pain. He looked back, figuring George must have accidentally stuck him in the back with something sharp, but saw that he was just too far back to have reached him. They ran right out the front door and regrouped in the front yard. Tony lifted up his shirt to reveal three long scratches down the center of his back in a spot that would have been impossible for him to reach himself. After that incident, Deborah called Barbara O'Connor again and let her in on everything that had happened since their last conversation. Barbara, who lived in California, told Deborah she should probably fly out and see the house in person. Deborah agreed. Barbara arrived a few days later and toured the house. She was able to get a better feel for the place and the spirits who resided there. She confirmed that Sally was harmless, but noted that she doesn't like men. She also said that Sally wasn't the only entity in the house. There were at least two others, one of which was a woman who wasn't friendly, but also not dangerous. The other was dark and hateful. This made Deborah even more protective of Sally. She was scared for her and thought she might be afraid of the dark entity and possibly even influenced by it. Things didn't quiet down after Barbara left, and Deborah wasn't exactly helping. Her newfound concern for Sally's ghost had her behaving somewhat unusual. One day, she brought home a gift-wrapped box. What's that? Tony asked when he saw her walking towards the stairs with it. Oh, it's just a gift for Sally since she's been so well-behaved lately. Tony wasn't amused. You've got to be kidding me, he replied, but she ignored him and hurried off to the nursery. Tony followed and watched in silence as Deborah placed the box in the middle of the floor and stepped back. There you go, Sally, she said, and walked by Tony through the doorway. Tony followed her down the hall. Don't you think this is a little... Tony cut his question short because he heard something sliding across the floor in the nursery. Deborah heard it too. 
They hurried back down the hallway and looked through the doorway. The box had somehow moved across the floor and was on its side near the crib. They inspected the box and it hadn't been opened, but the doll that Deborah bought was somehow in the baby's crib. Tony staggered back, but Deborah just smiled at the doll. They were not experiencing the same emotions. As Deborah became more obsessed with Sally, Tony became more distressed. He began hearing disembodied voices, and he'd wake up in the middle of the night to sharp little teeth biting his toes. He'd kick the covers off to reveal nothing biting him, but on more than one occasion, there would be bite marks, too small to be an adult, but too big to be a cat or a rodent. Perhaps even more alarming were the fires. Things around the house would randomly burst into flames. On December 18th, a couple of months after Tony saw the apparition in the kitchen, the Pickmans were hosting a Christmas party. They had a full house, and it had been a few weeks since the last paranormal encounter, so Tony was somewhat at ease. Deborah, on the other hand, was stressed. She worried that they had gifts for all the other kids, but she had forgotten to include Sally. She felt awful and was afraid Sally would lash out. As the party wound down, Tony headed up the stairs, stepping over a mop-haired doll on the fourth or fifth step. As he reached the top of the stairs, he heard his brother at the bottom call his name in a frantic tone. He spun around to see the doll he had just passed, completely engulfed in flames. He ran down, snatched up the doll, and darted back up the stairs to the bathroom where he drowned out the flames in the sink, cursing Sally under his breath. A few nights later, Tony was lying in bed staring at the ceiling. It was one of those nights where he kept starting to doze off, but then would jerk awake. As he started to doze off for what must have been the tenth time, he felt two screaming hot hands grab his ankle and yank him out of bed. Hitting the floor was less of a reality than the burning sensation in his ankles. For a second, he actually thought he was on fire due to the recent events. He jumped up off the floor, but realized he wasn't on the floor. He was still in bed. A dream? Nightmare? What the hell? Tony said out loud. Deborah woke up and asked him what the matter was. He kicked the covers off and looked at his ankles. What the hell is that? Deb asked sharply. On each of his ankles were five blisters in the shape of fingerprints. The following day, Deb was going through pictures developed from their Christmas party. She thumbed through, smiling at the great time everyone had, until she got to one picture that made her heart drop. It was the picture of the stairway. It had been taken before the fire, but there was an ominous blur in the exact same area where the fire would occur later in the evening. Also among the pictures was a picture of the nursery, and in the middle of the floor, looming over the crib, was a dark shadow figure. This, compounded with Tony's harrowing experience, was cause enough for Deborah to once again reach out to Barbara O'Connor. She described the pictures to the medium, and for a while, Barbara was silent. Deborah, Barbara said, this is a completely different entity than the ones I felt in the house. This one is not a human spirit. You need to have the house cleansed. This was the first time the demonic had been mentioned, and it was something Deborah hadn't considered. Later that evening, Deborah sat down with Tony and explained to him what she had discussed with Barbara. She told him that there might be a demonic presence in the house. Tony abruptly stood up, his face showing shock and concern. We can't live here anymore, Deb, he said. Deborah protested. She was unwilling to leave Sally in the house with a demon. Tony shook his head. He was clearly rattled. Ghosts were one thing, but the thought of the demonic shook him to his core. Growing up Catholic, this was something that terrified him. Just as he was about to open his mouth to protest, 
The baby monitor crackled. An unworldly scream burst from the speaker. It wasn't anything that their infant son could have produced from his tiny lungs. It was hateful, and it was evil. The word started spreading about the haunting, and the 90s TV show Sightings reached out to the Pickmans, interested in investigating. They agreed, but wished to remain anonymous. The crew showed up and interviewed the family. There were cameras and producers in almost every room. Tony explained that whatever entity was haunting the house, it didn't like men, himself in particular. While sitting in a chair, one of the producers noticed long scratches on Tony's arm appearing in real time right in front of his eyes. At this point, the producers changed direction and sat Tony down in a chair. He had multiple cameras and eyes on him, watching as bloody welts and scratches appeared on his body right in front of them. This was absolutely shocking and disturbing to the seasoned ghost hunters. No one had ever seen anything like that before. One day on set... Tony was standing off with the producers while Deborah was being interviewed by parapsychologist Carrie Gaynor. Midway through the interview, one of the crew members shouted, Tony, your back is on fire! There was a flame shooting up Tony's back, and the crew quickly smothered it before it could do any real damage. The show wrapped up without resolving anything, leaving the host and producers perplexed, and leaving the Pikmins in the same situation they were in before the sightings crew showed up. Tony's mental health was continuing to deteriorate. He wasn't sleeping. The scratching persisted, as well as the spontaneous fires. Deborah finally decided to do something, but it wasn't going to be moving out of the house. She wouldn't leave Sally. She decided to take Barbara up on her idea to cleanse the house. Before the ritual, the medium asked Tony and Deborah if there were any spirits they didn't want expelled from the house. Tony said, absolutely not, but Deborah said she wanted Sally to stay. Tony was furious, but he kept his mouth shut. The cleansing didn't work, and Tony continued to deteriorate. He got to the point where he stopped telling Deborah what was happening to him because she didn't believe her precious Sally was capable of doing such things. Tony started to feel resentment towards his wife and started thinking terrible thoughts. The voices he was hearing had been up to this point unintelligible, but now they were starting to become more clear. One day, while Deborah was out with the baby... Tony walked into the kitchen to find a stray cat had gotten in and was on the table eating some food that was left out. An irrational rage bubbled up from deep in his chest and a voice in his head started instructing him to kill the cat. He blacked out and found himself face down on the kitchen floor. As he got up, he looked around and saw the cat pinned to the table with a chef's knife, dead. He panicked. Not wanting Deborah to see what he had done, he wrenched the knife out and buried the cat out back. As he was cleaning the mess, the voice came back, telling him to kill his wife. The days dragged on. One day, Tony was walking out of the bedroom when something shoved him so hard he crashed into the railing on the landing, breaking multiple spindles and almost tumbling down onto the stairs. This was the last straw. He begged Deborah to move the family out of the house, pleading that nobody was safe. Maybe it was the incident on the stairs that convinced her, but she finally agreed. They moved out a short time later. Over a decade later, the Pickmans were living in a different house, not too far from the Sally house. Things were better, but the haunting hadn't ended for them. 
Tony still has an inarticulate desire to go back to the house. They say ghosts haunt houses, but demons attach themselves to people, and simply vacating a house doesn't necessarily end the haunting in a demonic case. One morning, Deborah woke up early, before the alarm went off. The sun hadn't quite cracked the horizon yet, but the sky was starting to transform from the ink-black shroud of the night to the deep blue preview of dawn. She looked over to her husband, but the bed was empty. Unusual, but not alarming, as Tony had developed a habit of sleepwalking since they moved away from the old house. She searched the house, but he was nowhere to be found. Now, she was beginning to worry. Where could he be at this hour? As Deborah paced the halls in a confused panic, a few blocks down the road, Tony Pickman was on his knees in the front yard of the Sally House, staring in a trance at the upstairs window, grinning menacingly. people welcome into hometown ghost stories episode number 21 i'm jesse wilkins i'm joined by rob coakley what's up rob what's going on guys i'm also joined by dave wilkins why hello what's going on not too much so that is the sally house atchison kansas this is my i've posted it a few times this is my favorite like modern haunting story i know like the story originates in like the late 1800s but the the more modern stuff other than like the stuff that i've experienced this is the creepiest story that i think exists so far it has really good footage like that whole sightings episode uh we'll leave a link to it on uh on youtube it i saw part one i guess there's a part two but it was like an hour long and it was very thorough and they kept going back to it and it just kept getting crazier and crazier so before we hop into it i wanted to Acknowledge some of the people that have hopped in here and dropped some subs and Patreons recently. Um, Ken Casher dropped a sub. Captain McSlugs dropped a sub. Also gifted a sub. Uh, we have uh, Stephanie. Was it Stephanie? Not Stephanie. Sarah. Sarah. Sarah on Patreon. Appreciate that. Everyone else who is new here, we appreciate you guys all for hanging out. And uh, with that, we will bring in our guest for today. So the guest is uh, Catherine. She's part of our investigation team she was with us at the conjuring house and will be joining us in the future as well welcome Catherine. hello everyone thanks for joining the show so Catherine has done some extensive research into this house and she's a bit of an expert and she's a scientist and she's really smart smarter than all of us so we figured we'd have her on to to uh, bring some intelligence to the show for the first time Welcome, Catherine. Bringing the average IQ up to about 76. Yes. Love that for you guys. Severely I love boosted. It. Awesome. So, Dave, yeah. take it away. Tell us about this damn house. So, uh, I love this story because I like things that scare me because I don't know whether I'm dead inside or what, but for whatever it is, for whatever reason it is, I just like to be scared. And I've read uh, poof, hundreds of horror books. I, you know, and every horror movie ever, I've seen it. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't get really scared. And this this story is just like, it, it, it hit me. I was like, oh, man, this is just the stuff that's in it. For instance, um, obviously, the, the origin story of Sally um, and the doctor, you, you just the details of that is just like it, it, it hurts. It hits hard. And then um, 
there aren't a lot of ghost stories that have video to support the claims that people make. You know, like one of the one of the things that people will say if, about people who get scratched, uh, like, oh, well, you did it to yourself. You did it to yourself. But there's actual they sat this guy in a chair and to videotaped him and they just watched it. They watched the scars and the scratches manifest on his body in real time, which is just insane to me. And, and uh, they got they got worse in real time, too. So the, through the episode, they they kept showing it. And you see it first as a scratch and they kept the camera on it. And then the scratch started like uh, swell up and bleed a little bit, which was horrifying to see. So it was uh, they, it kept getting worse as the uh, the camera was sitting on it, which is uh, not really how wounds work there. So, yeah, was, I, I really you can't really explain it either. It's uh, I mean, there's, there's people have theories. They think, you know, an allergic reaction, which I, I don't know what kind of allergic reaction you could have that would cause a scratch to appear. That, that would cause you to like get that. assaulted. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, people had speculated that he had some sort of a skin condition uh, yeah. that could do that. But I don't know about a skin condition that can make you, you know, like scratches like that. I'm no expert, but doesn't seem to uh, add up for me. I haven't seen like a solid debunking of that either. Like I haven't seen any doctors come in and say, uh, Oh, that is this condition. And that happens all the time. You know, this well, is kind of, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. You're up. Um, it's called dermatographism. It's basically when you scratch your skin instead of immediately like getting a line or something, it's like a 10, 15, 30 minute delay. Um, but with that condition, it's not something that you would bleed from it. Like you wouldn't like scratch yourself. It shows up and then you bleed. Uh, it would that just is interesting. Though. It would just scratch mm. and then it does raise, get red, very irritated, things like that. But it would never bubble up and bleed. That's the only discrepancy with that, which is why it doesn't sound like that condition. But you're saying well, that that's closer than you could scratch yourself and then the the wounds would have like a fifteen to thirty minute delay of actually showing up. Yeah, exactly. Which would be absolutely perfect if you're trying to fake a ghost interaction, but I don't think that's the case, especially since we saw the actual footage of the wounds getting worse. Yeah, and just to, to stay on, since we're talking about this the sightings episode, the thing that I found like the most telling from the episode is when they're trying to, uh, when they're talking to Tony, right? That's the guy's name, Tony? Yep. So when they originally went to the house, it was, they were like, you can come, but we don't want anybody to know. So we want fake names and all this other stuff. So the crew is like calling them these fake names, like on camera. And while one of these incidents happens and the, the crew is surrounding them, they're going, Tony, Tony, like it's yeah. happening. So they're like, they, they, they screw up and they start calling him by his real name. So that just, that's another thing that like just kind of jumps out and you notice that it's, all right. Yeah, it kind of bolsters the authenticity. Right. So while we're on the topic, one of the things I don't think you included in the video was one of the scratches that he, that he got. So on his back during the episode, they lift up his shirt in a, in a place where he absolutely couldn't have reached on his own. And the initials MC were on his back. Mm hmm. And if you go back in the history of the house, the man who I believe it was the guy who built the house was MC Finney. Yep. Is that accurate? I know it was the Finney family that had it for a long time. Yeah. Michael, Michael Croman Finney, 1871 is the one who built the house. 
uh, Kristen Goble says, I want to see the live footage. Yeah, so we can uh, play that. Well, we can't play it now, but it was in the episode. So we played clips from the sightings episode there, but we'll leave a link to the uh, entire sightings episode in the show notes so you can see that. Soph says, uh, I relate to the wife who let a demon beat up her husband so she could live with a little ghost girl. So that's actually, so this is another, this is another um, instance that I feel like separates this ghost story from others. The most common thing that you see in in all these ghost stories, like the conjuring story, um, for instance, comes to mind, but they have the wife who's tormented by ghosts and she, she pleads to her husband that they're in a haunted house and the husband just doesn't believe that he just doesn't believe her. And this is almost a flip situation. Not quite because they both believe in the ghost, but well, it still started out like that though, where it, it started did. off that he was a skeptic. He didn't want to believe in any of it. And she had said that since she was a little girl, she's always wanted to have like a paranormal encounter and she wanted to experience ghosts. So she, and she said it even in the settings episode that she was pumped that she finally met a ghost and then she almost took on like a motherly role to this ghost yeah she has a whole apology chapter in her book about um how she when she you know because when tony started uh experiencing the scratching and whatnot and the bad things that would happen he'd go to deb and he'd be like deb this isn't right this is you know the ghost is hurting me and she would dismiss him be like no you're you're, that's something else it's not the ghost it couldn't be sally sally couldn't do that sally's a good girl stuff like that and because she had this um attachment to the ghost she just dismissed all of his concerns. So he felt like he's in the situation now that all these other um, women were in where their husbands don't believe him. It was, she doesn't believe him. So that's kind what of, I found. Oh, well, well, yeah, yeah, she said she didn't believe that that was happening to him. She, yeah, she, she didn't believe that it was Sally that was doing it. She must have thought it was something else in the house. Or did well, she just know, not she'd say things like, Oh, you must've bumped it, your leg on a table. Oh, or, she was or, making you know, excuses, like making excuses. Yeah. Um, he ran into a door. Was, yeah, she. They talked about that um, when Deb and Tony were interviewed on the uh, Astonishing Legends podcast. They had gone through that, and um, yeah, she was basically just like just didn't believe the stuff that he was saying. It uh, makes sense. It, yeah, it makes it sense does. because in the show, he had his face blurred out. Like there was no recognition of him, but her and the baby, you could see them the whole time. Like even though they had fake names, you could still see who they were. But yeah, Tony was, was like, don't show who I am, don't show my name, anything like that, because I feel like he was like, I'm being attacked. Right. Like, I don't want people to associate me with this presence. Yeah, there was that, and there was also, he didn't want the community to be like, oh, those are the crazy ghost people, so he didn't want people, you know, neighbors and people to recognize him, but I mean, that all goes out the window when the wife doesn't blur her face, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I forget right. about that plan. Um, but I guess that the whole community, like very Christian community at the time, he you knew had said it in the episode. He grew up with a very uh, Catholic upbringing, so he didn't want to believe in this stuff. He didn't want to believe that it was happening to him, and he didn't want the the neighbors to think that. Uh, not only to think that they're crazy, but to think like, oh, don't go near that family. Let's not go to their house for parties. Let's not associate with them because they're the demon family. Right. And uh, on the topic of demons, so there's actually three. Um, schools of thought on what exactly was haunting this house. And um, so I'll start with the least likely, what I believe is the least likely anyways. I believe the least likely situation is that there is the ghost of a girl named Sally haunting this house. I think that is least likely. I believe that there's more evidence pointing towards the demonic. You got the scratches, the, you know, the three scratches down the middle of the back. Um, you got the shadow figure, 
You know, your shadows are agents of darkness. You have signs of oppression, demonic oppression, and then there's some signs of earlier stages of demonic possession, like hearing the voices and uh, unconsciously killing the cat. I feel like demon is the most likely, in my opinion, um, scenario. But there's uh, evidence for a third option, which I haven't heard anyone else mention. This is my theory. Um, In some Native American cultures, they believe in what's referred to as elemental spirits. So when uh, some Native American tribes, when they named their children or when they used to name their children, they were and they still in a lot of cases do it in relation to the four elements, you know, earth, wind, water, fire. That's why you have and also animals. So that's why you have um, Native American names like um, blowing wind and, um, you know, things like that. So Ed and Lorraine Warren actually investigated a few cases involving elemental poltergeists. Um, You know, leave it to me to um, introduce Ed and Lorraine Warren into a story that has nothing to do with them. Um, so they actually invented a, uh, investigated a few cases involving elemental poltergeists and, uh, most of them were involving water. Mm-hmm. So they had one particular case in Pennsylvania in 1990, where a family was experiencing water shooting out of dressers, dripping from the ceiling, forming these big water drips that would bunch up like grapes and then explode, soaking everything below it. Um, you know, the family would check the attic for a source, but the attic would be completely dry. They couldn't figure out where the water was coming from. Um, so Ed confirmed it was an elemental poltergeist and some research revealed that it was the spirit of a native American by the name of waterfalls who was buried, um, on the grounds that that house was built on. And according to Lorraine, who, if you're not familiar with her, she is a a gifted clairvoyant, uh, who could communicate with the dead. She says the spirit was angry about trees that have been cut down on the property. So you're probably wondering like, what the heck does this have to do with the Sally house? Um, while yeah, exactly. Fire so elemental. While, yep. Yeah. So while Ed was explaining this to the family, he joked, could be worse, at least it's not a fire poltergeist. Uh, we've had those cases too, although they're less common because in most cases the house burns down before anyone can investigate. So the, ha- the Sally house was built on land that was formerly occupied by the Kansas Native American tribe. And you, they could be dealing with a fire poltergeist because of all of the spontaneous combustions that were happening. Yeah. And they were like controlled fires too. Like, there would be sometimes it would put itself out. Uh, it would pop up on like a windowsill. They've had a fire. There was evidence, I guess, when they bought the house of there used to be fires up in the attic. So there was evidence of that. And just all these random fires just popping up. I mean, obviously with the electrical issues that they had first, your first idea is like, okay, there's going to be some kind of electrical problem. Lights are shutting off. Radios are turning up and not, you know, turning up and down. Uh, phone lines are disconnecting. You think all these things would add up to some sort of electrical thing. Maybe these are like small electrical fires that are starting and they're just getting lucky with their house not burning down. But they did have electricians come out to the house, check it out, try to figure out what the problem was before they even thought it was anything paranormal. And they found nothing. So that uh, that adds to it. And then I did hear the thing about the, um, could have been on like an ancient um, Native American village and someone had, one of the experts had written an email about it that had uh, verified that is possible. It's not confirmed, but it's very possible. They had dug and they had found uh, evidence of that kind of stuff. I did read something that said um, one of the people that investigated the house, uh, one of the first people did point to a poltergeist at first. And they said that there were two spirits, Sally being one of them, but they were feeding off of the poltergeist in order to get attention. Um, So that could also be a possibility. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even... Um, in my three things that I listed, I didn't even consider the possibility that there could be more than one thing haunting. So I guess it could be a uh, 
this go- the ghost of Sally as well, well as that was part of the cleansing though was they thought that there was multiple spirits there and when they came to cleanse the house they asked do you want to keep any of the of the spirits here and the the, the husband was like no and then Deborah was like yes Sally gets to stay and don't touch my Sally. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, you're not, don't let Sally go anywhere. And the husband was like, dude, like, what are we doing? Like, can you please just not let me, you know, die because of this freaking ghost. Right. And, uh, yeah. So she, she tells the, the medium to get rid of every other spirit in the house other than Sally and surprise stuff still started it still Stuff still kept escalating. Well done, sir. We yeah. got there. I mean, we got there. <laughs> David brought it up on the episode, and apparently it just didn't work at all. But there is, I mean, I wouldn't completely write off the idea of Sally being one of the ghosts that haunts the place. There was plenty of, I mean, again, we don't have to keep mentioning it, shoddy record keeping, early 1900s. But there was a, was it a psychic who came in during the sightings episode? And he pinpointed everything. He's like, oh, there's a little girl in that window looking right at me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, this guy was, yeah. he was loopy. You know, I, 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 I watched it. I was like, this guy's, uh, this guy's kind of out there. But the evidence that, that pulled me into kind of thinking that there's something that was spot on with this guy. First of all, he goes through the house. He's like, oh, there's a little girl. Here. There's a little girl standing at the top of the stairs. She's looking at me right now. Uh, what's your name? What's your name? And then he comes up with Sally inside the house. Now they had said he knew nothing about the house, did not watch any of the former reports on it. I don't know if they can really verify that he might've known what he was walking into, but the crazier thing that happened with that guy was they took him to a local, he wanted to go see the local graveyard and he went there and he found basically an unmarked gravesite. And it was like the, you couldn't read it anymore. It was super dilapidated and old. And he looked at it and he's like, this is where she was buried. And they went and they, they went through the, the records on that on that plot and it ended up being someone i think with the middle name of sally so that was something where it's i don't think he would have taken those steps to do that beforehand if so then yeah and it's really aside, aside from that gravestone there's really no other evidence that suggests uh, sally exists at all right yeah i did some research into that grave actually um unfortunately i i i don't know what to think about it there's a couple of theories that i have um the actual grave, though, is for Sally Isabel Hall. Um, she was the 34-year-old woman who lived in that town at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she died to, due to complications it? of various diseases. Yeah, I heard it was so pneumonia. But I also heard that she was buried with her kid who died, and they were both buried in the coffin. Yes, I also I, I, I saw something... I can't verify it because I only saw one source say it, that that woman, Sally Hall, had approximately 14 children. Out of those 14 children, only four of them survived. And mm-hmm. supposedly, she had them in the Sally house. Oh. Oh, no kidding. Well, she That's did live at the Sally house, though. I think the records that show that she lived like um, like 100 yards down the street or something. Yeah, and but yeah. Was also where the doctor was. Yeah, it's still the time where... Um, Charles C. Finney was practicing. There's something with, so, so there was also a whole bunch of the Finney family died inside the house. And then they also owned, I believe it was the, the house next door. Mm-hmm. And there was some tie in. I don't really remember what it was, but a bunch of people died there as well. I mean, obviously when you have a house for generations, people are going to die there. That's nothing out of the ordinary, but 
a lot of the ways that they died seem to be similar. And then I don't remember what the tie-in was with the uh, the neighboring house, but I, I would be curious to find out if that one is haunted as well. Um, I, I do know the tie-in to that house. Um, I forget exactly, but uh, one of the Finney family deeded the house to a woman named Shannon or Sharon. Sorry, I can't. Was exactly she the single remember. mother? Yes, she was a single mother. Um, she had two children um, and one on the way. Um, she was institutionalized for mental illness. And when she got out, she was put under charge of Charles C. Finney. Um, and then in that neighboring house, um, she tried to commit suicide with her and her child and only that. her child died. Yeah. Oh. So she, she tried it with a uh, carbon dioxide poisoning and yeah, just the baby died and she survived. Yeah. That's infuriating. That's tough. Yeah. <clears throat> That's tough. It's rough. Clearly she wasn't ready to not be institutionalized anymore. That's a brutal story. Completely unrelated. Weird thing I heard about the Sally house is that when it was built, it was facing the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. It used to actually be facing first street, I think. And then for whatever reason, they completely turned the, the, the house, the, the entrance to the front of the house. Uh, I mean, well, did they, the new front of the house. Did they physically turn the house? No, no. They just, they just, they just refaced it. So now, yeah. now this is the front. So they didn't actually spin the house around. Not, See, that's- not from what I saw. I just saw that they, well, because when they, when they show you tours and stuff, I think they show the other side of the house and they're like, well, when the Finneys lived here, this was the front of the house and this is the way they would have came in. And this is their entrance way. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting because you nowadays you can actually physically pick up a house and spin it around, which, you know, I don't know why you would why you would do that. Uh, it's like a lot of money for no reason. Right. But, uh, I, was, I was wondering when I read that fact, I'm like, I wonder if they actually spun the house around or if they just changed and said, now this is the front. No, I think they changed it. On it. It was it was something to do with the new street with Second Street coming in and it just made more sense. And uh, from the very I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't really research why they did it so much but that's that was kind of the impression that i got and like i said i think when you do tours there they tell you like they show you that other side and they're like this is where he would you would have actually come in for dr finney's practice you would have came in this door not the other side that would have been the back and you would have entered and his offices would have been down here and they show you all of that yeah interesting it is interesting weird uh Nothing, I had nothing to do with well, Maybe it does have something to do with the haunting. Maybe because ghosts don't like renovations. Right. So well, maybe. we've, we've learned that even more so recently, right? With yeah, the, true. Uh, the owners of the new, of the North street house reaching out to me after massive renovations. Yep. Have you guys watched any footage of people exploring the house or staying over or doing investigations in the house in the uh, past five, 10 years? No, the sightings is the only episode I watched. I watched the Ghost Adventures one, but you know, Zach yeah. is a little bit out there, so uh, he's the best I've, in the business. I've Besides watched he, he is, other than us, obviously. I've watched <laughs> quite a few on on this house and it's I understand that like we always we're skeptical of everything we see, but this house for real, like it is it is the house I want to go to. Like, if we can go anywhere, this is the house. Yeah, let's do it. So, I plan to. 
what I've heard about people going into this house is pretty much every single paranormal team comes out with something. And that is yeah. huge. And the amount of things that were happening in this one, uh, here are some of the, the hauntings that have happened. They've had the typical stuff, uh, video investigative equipment that stopped working, batteries fully drained. Um, they've experienced moving objects, unexplained scratches or bruising on their bodies during and after visits. They've had physical touches, uh, mysterious coldness, which all of the stuff was alluded to in the episode. And then they've had trained guide dogs who refuse to enter the nursery. And that was something that was really common was dogs refusing to enter the room. The scariest thing, and I'm going to reference it again, uh, don't turn off our show yet, but after you listen to us, go check out the Astonishing Legends podcast. And uh, If you have nine hours out of your day. <laughs> yeah, it is it is quite it's long. Very but, thorough. Very, very thorough. But if you they, just, if you, Yeah, sorry, go ahead. They, they do an EVP session, and it's possibly the scariest EVP I've ever heard. It was it is unquestionably the scariest EVP <laughs> I've ever heard. It's not even close. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, it's terrifying. And so you should go listen I to haven't, it. I haven't heard that yet. And we didn't request permission to play the audio. So Rob, why don't you do a, uh, why don't you reenact the, the EVP that they got? Dude, for you, you literally, <laughs> you literally cannot reenact this. I, it sounds like a less clean version of the one that I included in the episode. Yeah. Oh, really? Listen to yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's it'll give you chills. I listened to it in the daylight on my way to work, and and I got chills when I was when I was in the car listening to it. It was just me too. They hyped they hyped this thing up for like five hours straight, and they they hyped it up so much that when I'm like when they're ready to play, I'm like, (laughs) I was I was gonna be disappointed. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm gonna be so pissed off listening to this. I just listened to this whole part. Uh, but yeah, if you skip towards the end of their episode, you can listen. Episode two, yeah. Episode two, it, they play it towards the end, and whoo, terrifying. They had it analyzed by um, the same audio analyst who analyzed. Um, oh, what did he analyze? Something for the government. I forget what it was. Of one of the prior administrations, he he analyzed. So he's like a he's a legit like audio analyst, and uh-huh. he could not debunk. The, the, no, the noise. Now, granted, it was recorded on a uh, DR60 audio recorder, which is, it used to be like the the one that paranormal investigators would use. They'd, be like, they'd swear by it. And now, um, people are saying that if you're a paranormal investigator, you do not want to use this because it is so faulty that it just, it spits out ridiculous sounds that have nothing to do with anything and it will throw you off. So you believe you're getting something and you're actually getting like a manipulated or, static or it's sound. just or it's just working really well. Or it's just working really well. But no, they, they you can if you look up the DR60 for paranormal investigations, um, it, it pretty much is just um, they say do it's it's ru- they're saying it's ruining paranormal investigations because of I all would, like the, I would say it's making it better. Anyways, uh, I want to touch on Andrew's comment right here. It says uh, the video lightly touched on the murder. What do you th- uh, what did you reveal in your research about that? So that's talking about the little girl that was there where. She could have been his daughter from a mistress, and it could have been an intentional murder. Um, I had heard about that in like two podcasts, like the first two that I listened to. And then when you sent me the audio, I was like, Dave, you should probably mention this because if this is something that's widely believed and we're skipping that, then he did. Uh, he forced me to re record it to, to include that. And I didn't want to because the um, everything that you hear from that particular rumor is. 
there's literally nothing to back it up. It is a story. Mm-hmm. It's an urban legend. So there's no documentation to back it up. And I, you know, I've heard, I even heard on one podcast that they, that he was arrested and lost his license, which is compl- I have no idea where they got that information. I don't want to mention the podcast because I actually like their podcast, but yeah, that is as far as I have no idea where they got that information. I looked into it. There's a biography on the guy online. It doesn't mention a single thing about anything about him ever losing his license or being arrested. And which guy was arrested. which guy was the doctor? It wasn't MC. Was D, it? No, it was D. It was uh, C. C. Finney Charles. Oh yeah, and, that was um, interesting. He was a figure skater and the mayor. Yeah, and a yeah and, and a, a doctor lawyer, and a doctor. You know, he's, yeah, he was like the do it yourself. Everything. The jack of all trades. You know what's yeah. funny about him? Not good at a single thing. <laughs> or really good at everything. Uh, not appendectomies. Well, not good at appendectomies. Yeah. It's supposedly. Hanging up it's after that one. Yeah. But I guess uh, just to touch on his figure skating, he was so good that they eventually banned him from uh, like the town figure skating competition. I don't know if yeah. you heard about this, but they, they they had this one in the poster. The poster literally read, open to all members of Atchison except for C.C. Finney or whatever his name was. <laughs> this is his demon, demon haunting the house origin story. Yeah, so he's, like, very, oh. he's so pissed off that he got banned from the figure skating competition. <laughs> he haunts it forever. Yeah. Figure skating around the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, Going back to just some of the stuff that the family saw, the the ghost in the kitchen, him telling that story, because I've heard him tell that story a few times, he talks about how he was in the kitchen, he thought he saw something, turns around and he sees the little girl, which is terrifying enough, but the way he words it is, not only did he see her, she saw him and saw that he could see her, and it terrified her. And she went running like you don't hear that too often where, you know, the ghost is recognizing that you're noticing them maybe as well. Was, yeah. Maybe she was so used to not being recognized in the house when the first time that she was actually seen, she was probably just as scared as he was. Yeah. If so, she, if well, there's a theory for earthbound ghosts. So you have different like kinds of ghosts. You have poltergeist, pesky ghosts. You have, you know, demonic entities that are non-human. And then you have earthbound entities that died from a typically from a um a crisis situation and they don't realize they're dead and their uh-huh. their, their their spirits left and that would kind of make sense for this situation where she's like i'm in the kitchen and he's in the kitchen he sees her she sees him and she's a little girl and she's like oh my god that's scary you know doesn't know she's dead so that's that's pretty yeah it's kind of like the uh the others yeah, the yeah. others where the whole movie you think that this family is being haunted turns out they're the spoiler alert. I was I was okay, wondering what we're going to start spoiling movies. <laughs> You're allowed to spoil a movie that's 20 years old. I think like if you haven't seen it by now, like let's not pretend you were going to go see it. Although that is a that's a pretty solid ghost mo- movie. It's a nice wholesome, clean ghost story. Yeah. You could argue it's a little predictable, but now it's yeah. really predictable. <laughs> <laughs> as a, yeah, thanks to me as a. As, we saw that when we were young. I did not expect that ending whatsoever when we were watching it. So I think it still holds up. Uh, Catherine, what, what did you find as the most interesting aspect of this, of this story or case? Definitely the discrepant. Like, I don't want to say, I don't want to invalidate anything, but like the discrepancies between the story and then the grave and everything. Like I told, and like their experiences, like you, I don't see how the grave goes back to a child's death or anything like that. Like I really do think in my opinion, like whenever I think of a demonic entity, 
I always think that it's going to try and act the most innocent that it can be. So it's going to portray itself as a child. Yeah. Um, it's not going to want to show it its true self because it's it wants to possess you. It wants to cause mayhem, havoc, things like that. So it's going to show its most innocent form. Right. So when it prevents itself as this ghost of Sally, maybe at some point there was a child or a woman named Sally within the house and that, that entity decided it's going to take on that persona in order to trick or um, manipulate whoever lives there. And it just happened to have um, an affinity towards men more like, because what I looked into the house, um, the Finneys lived in there. And then there was like a 40 year period where only like women and uh, children, girl children lived in the house. And there was, there was no reports of any activity or any sightings or any mayhem being caused. And then the second the Pickmans moved in, they started having all this activity, all this oh, trauma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as soon as a sense. man moved back in. Right. Cause the theory is if Sally thought that she was being tortured to death by a man, she might have a problem with men. And yeah, maybe she started panicking the second a man came back in the house. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, this is, like I said, one of my favorite stories. So if we do get to go there. Also, if you're one of the people who runs the Sally House, reach out to us. Let us know how we can get in there. You can book it right on the website. Yeah, but... I mean, if they, they wanted to bring us in for free, that'd be cool, too. But I mean... But where Rob's trying to flex. Story? Trying to flex his ghost <laughs> muscles. <laughs> You've seen how many TikTok followers we have? Yes. Quite a, quite a few. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would love to go to this house. If we do, we will definitely investigate. That would be, that would probably just be some side content. I can't imagine we would just rehash this entire episode. So I fully, we, I fully plan to do that. Like this is, this is one I'm like ready to start booking, you know, let's, let's book and let's just do it. Cause this, this one is too good. This one's yeah. too good. A- every location we're like, Ooh, we must, but this yeah. one's I'm like, hey, no, it's this not is, too this far. Is let's just one. do it. Yeah. We'll, we'll plan it out. We'll book it and we'll go there and uh, we'll keep everyone posted on, on when that's going to happen. But I think that should be our next trip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Catherine, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. We'll have to have you on the next paranormal investigation for sure. Part of the squad. Part of the Please squad uh, make sure you're still liking, subscribing, whether it's on YouTube or podcast. Uh, we got another review that was really good. Another, We've got a couple more five-star reviews, but we got one with a comment. And every time we get those, we will read them out. So on Apple Pod, on Apple Podcast, Shelly said that she loves spooky things and this podcast doesn't disappoint. Being from Massachusetts, too, some of the stories and the guys, uh, some of the stories and the guys hit home. And I love it. While listening to the Conjuring House episode on my drive home from work, my blind spot indicator turned off, leaving a check system, check system error on my screen. Totally freaked me out as it's never happened before. I tried turning it back on, and it wouldn't let me turn the episode off for a day. And the next day, my car is back to normal. Totally gave me the creeps. Looking forward to more of what the guys have to share. The paranormal um, mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> So what you Sorry. want to do if you have a car trouble is you're going to want to turn on one of our episodes and then turn it <laughs> off for a day and then finish the episode. And yeah, your well, that's how Definitely. we fix your car. <laughs> Definitely finish the episode, though, for sure. Definitely. So, yeah, keep leaving, uh, keep leaving those comments. It's going to help to push our podcast out. The podcast continues to grow every single week, and we uh, appreciate every single one of you guys that checks it out and listens for sure. Uh, Catherine, any social media you want people to follow, or are you just kind of just hanging out? 
I'm just hanging out. I don't She's really. Just hanging out. Don't I don't really care. do social don't media, do but you can follow. Me. You can follow yeah. my husband, Captain McSlugs. Of course, Captain McSlugs on on uh, TikTok. Of course, uh, he lets you know that you could also put your whole car in rice. If, uh, <laughs> so that's the kind of content you get from this man. That's strong advice. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, anything else you guys want to touch on? Oh, what do, what do we got coming up here, Rob? What's your your episode next week? Well, next week we are going to be doing another big one. We are going to be doing uh, the Annabelle doll story. So we're going to hit on that. It's going to be a little different. We're still, I mean, it's going to be a normal episode. It's going to be episode 22, I believe it is. Uh, But this is going to be the precursor to one of our first side content that we're going to be doing, where we're going to be doing demonic possession. uh, Yeah, the demonic. Possessed, Jesus. Object. possessed objects. objects. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to be doing those and Annabelle doll stories the first. So it's going to play out like a normal episode, but some of the video footage, I'm going to be doing it a little bit different than what you're used to seeing. So exciting. Good. That's next week. That's exciting. Uh, and then there will be something else. The, my next one that I'm putting together. So not next week, not the week after the following week will be Amityville. And I'm not just going to tell the Amityville story. I've already started this. Uh, I'm going to tell the Amityville story, but the f- episode is going to be focused on how this was the one story that hurt Ed and Lorraine Warren's reputation. And anytime you hear somebody say, Oh, they're far- they're frauds, they're fakes, they're phonies. It's because of the Amityville. And I'm going to be taking, I'm going to be diving into that and debunking the debunking of the Warrens Amityville so that's the angle I'm taking on that one. Oh, that sounds very interesting. I have no, mm. no idea what I'm doing for my next episode, but I'll have that figured out <laughs> in due time. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Again, make sure you hit like, hit subscribe, share with your friends, check us out on all platforms. And uh, again, thank you so much to our new patrons and subs. If you want to be in the credits and get your own personal shout out, uh, check us out on Patreon. Thank you guys. Thank you, Catherine, again for, for tuning in. I mean, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. (laughs) And thanks for tuning in, Catherine. You also technically tuned in. You watched the whole episode, without a doubt. All right, we'll see you guys. (laughs) Later.